Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, we're moving back to the NBA. We've had some fun breaking down early season college basketball in the NBA draft, but I've been promising listeners a deep dive into the NBA's offseason, so we are going to do that today. I've brought Dave Dufour onto the show in order to do that. We're going to run through all 15 teams in the Eastern Conference. If your team didn't do that much in the offseason, we'll run through the moves and spend just precious little time talking about them, but we'll run through all 15. If you're a team like the one we're starting with in Atlanta, then we'll probably you know dive a little bit deeper. But Dave, it's good to chat, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm really good, actually. Um, surprisingly really good because we didn't get a lot of time, you know, to, to like recharge and think about stuff, but it's okay. It, it's, uh, we're all going to be learning on the fly. You know, last week's nerder, we were talking about how many guys who basically they're like NBA homeless to us because I couldn't remember where they were like Tony Bradley. I forgot that he's now in Philly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was still thinking he was in Detroit. Yeah, it's it's a mess, but it's fun. It's cool. Yeah, no, it's great. I am really, really excited to kind of learn on the fly and figure that out. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going on vacation for two weeks at the end of the year. It has uh, been an interminable draft cycle. I wanted to watch mm-hmm. the early season college basketball. College Ooh, basketball goes into a little bit of a lull right in that little window uh, and I'll be able to pick right back up in the new year. So I'm excited to, I'm excited to take that little recharge break. I've already watched more college basketball live than I have in the last two seasons, just because, you know, there's no NBA right now. Right. And I got to say, man, um, next year's draft class. And then from what I know about the next two draft class, it's going to redefine the nba i think like seven years from now the the next three years are really going to dominate the nba and it's like every single guy coming in as a two-way wing with crazy basketball iq it's really incredible yeah it's funny like i i'm starting to wonder and we talked about this on the last podcast with matt penny as well like what do we do with guys like bj boston who really struggles like throughout the first portion of this year like i don't know if you watched the georgia tech kentucky game today but like Mm -hmm. they i I mean no i I just teased kyle man about it yeah that's the right move kyle's the best i have to get kyle on the podcast at some point Mm -hmm. soon um but yeah i mean kentucky's really struggling uh pretty heavy right now because bj boston doesn't really have anything to do because he's not a great defender yet he's not a great passer so whenever he's not scoring and it's really tough for him to score right now because Kentucky doesn't shoot the ball well and doesn't space the floor. So everyone just condenses the lane on him. How does he impact the game positively? I don't really, I don't really have an answer for that right now, unfortunately. So having to try to navigate the context of all of this is really, really tough uh, so far. Uh, I mean, context, it's funny, but the context is really all that matters. Yeah. In particular for these guys that are at Kentucky, because, you know, it's, um, you usually only, only catch the surface of what they're doing anyway. So you have to figure out, you know, who's better at, at things that we didn't see. And, and I don't even know how you figure that out when they go to Kentucky. They get, they get put into the box 
Yeah. And that box is, you know, that's how they're going to play. So I don't know. Uh, what do you think about BJ? Bo- is he going to, is he going to come around or is this like just a bad fit? Like, I think it's, I think both of those things are true. I think it isn't a great fit for BJ, but mm-hmm. I do think he'll come around. He's not this bad. Like he's not, uh, like he's, there have been times where he's been like a little bit unplayable at Kentucky so far, just because again, if he's not scoring and they're not spacing the floor for him to drive and he's not defending and he's not passing, what does he do out there? That's valuable. Right. So I think that he's going to improve upon that for sure. But I mean, look, like there's a chance that he was, he's not quite as good as what we thought at the end of the day. Like that, that is a realistic outcome. Mm -hmm. There's always a chance. So, uh, between, but like Jalen Suggs has been unbelievable so far. And you have these Zaire Williams. Zaire Williams looks interesting. He's been up and down. Mm -hmm. And I, I swear, like, I think he's not a hundred percent healthy either. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's wearing that like enormous knee brace. I mentioned that on the last podcast too. Like he, he just doesn't look like he's hundred percent right now because he doesn't have that quick twitch that he used to have at the height or uh, the prep levels but yeah he's a monster Cade cunningham's unbelievable i'm sure you've watched him like mm-hmm. it's yeah i mean th- this well, draft is absolutely Cade loaded for, yeah i've seen Cade for a few years now um seen him live quite a bit and uh i i don't we haven't like scratched the surface yet w- with what he's doing in college basketball He's not even, I don't even feel like he's gotten comfortable with his teammates yet. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, and that team around him might not be very good either, but he is so good that he just very clearly lifts them, uh, with Mm -hmm. everything that he does. Uh, that Oakland game, like that was like a relatively tight game throughout the entire first half and then in the final 10 minutes i mean it was it was just game over he dropped 18 8 and 4 in that game and was just he's ridiculous kate cunningham is so so good oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah hot take hot take kate cunningham's hot a monster take. But we are here to talk about the nba's offseason we're going to run through all 15 eastern conference teams we are going to do it in alphabetical order. Hang on, hang on, hang on a second. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Just briefly. We don't have to. I'm, I'm going to list what they did. Our good, uh, intrepid editor on the NBA side, Rob Peterson, who is just the best, uh, put together a list of all of the moves that happened this NBA yes. offseason. So we're going to run through the moves, maybe give a very quick fire take, and that'll be it. Uh, on the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I, I like, start... actually like, I like Cleveland. I, I think they're going to be okay. I, I want to start with Atlanta though, because I don't know that any team did more to help themselves this offseason other than maybe Phoenix than Atlanta, because the things that Atlanta needed was depth and Defensive identity as well as just veteran leadership for this roster and Mm -hmm. veteran leaders who can actually play a role and aren't just like taking up minutes on the court uh, at the expense of younger guys who might already be better than they are. Right. So Atlanta this offseason, they draft Nyeka Kongwu and Skylar Mays. They part with Jeff Teague and Trevion Graham and Vince Carter. 
They signed Danilo Gallinari to a three-year, $61.5 million contract. That deal has a partial guarantee on the third year. So really, it's about two years, $40 million. They signed Rajon Rondo to a two-year, $15 million deal. They signed Chris <laughs> Dunn to a two-year, $10 million deal, second-year player option. They signed Solomon Hill to a non-guarantee. They traded Dwayne Dedman for Tony Snell, essentially, because they then waived Kyrie Thomas, who was also a part of that deal. And then the big one was they signed Bogdan Bogdanovich to a four-year, $72 million offer sheet, and uh, the Kings decided not to match. So all in all, what was your impression of the Atlanta Hawks offseason? I mean, I think it was good. You know, they, they got better players and that's a, that's always a good thing, especially when you have as many young, talented guys as they have. I think bringing in people to help them learn how to win in the NBA matters. Now, do you necessarily want it to be Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings or, you know, uh, Danilo Gallinari? Like while those pieces fit, I, I don't know if those guys are great, um, Great guys to get you to the next level. Uh, Rajon Rondo is interesting as a mentor for, for Trey Young, but not, I th- actually think not in the way most people would assume. Whatever they do, this season has to be about teaching Trey Young how to play basketball with teammates. And when Atlanta goes out and gets guys who are actually talented now, not guys who are talented but figuring out how to play, but guys who have gotten it done in the NBA. I think you're sending a message to Trey Young that, hey, listen, there are four other people on the court with you at one time. You should get them involved a little bit and not just the Russell Westbrook style. I'm going to pound the ball and I'm going to find you and you're going to shoot when you catch it. Trey Young, I, I still I, I will contend that his passing is his best skill. I agree with you. We're not, and we're not seeing that used to its fullest because it's predictable. I think you get him off the ball a little bit, and and this isn't to say you're going to take him off the ball completely because certainly you wouldn't do that. But a little bit, and and I'm not comparing the two as players, but I do think that Trey Young would do himself a service by finding his inner Steph Curry as an off-ball player, setting screens for his teammates will wind up getting him open running off of screens and being able to make the pass, you know, after you catch the ball, instead of just taking the shot, these sorts of things, like that's winning basketball. And I I think that the Hawks front office has sent a message to Trey. Hey, listen, we think we can win. We think we can win with you. Here are players that are going to make you better, but now it's up to you to do the rest. And and I hope to see that. I mean, he's he's playing with a lot of good players. They've got talent. Now they're not going to be, a top four or five, maybe not even a six seed in the East because they're not going to defend at all. But I do think that they can win some basketball games. And that's a team that if it gets hot, you know, they're going to, they're going to put up a, you know, 112, 114 offensive rating, I think, once it's all said and done. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, I worry about the defense. And oh, I mean, I'm not worried about the defense and neither are they. That's the thing, right? Like, there's not going to be any defense. Like, let's just go ahead and and throw that out right now. Like, the defense is going to be non-existent. So, yes, that's accurate. What I will say is that they have shored up the center position defensively with Clint Capella and Onyeka Okongwu. 
Capella is still not played for them, obviously. So he's going to be an addition as opposed to, uh, you know, a guy that was acquired at the deadline and played at the end of last year. Right. So mm-hmm. him and a Kong Wu, I think are legitimately positive defenders. I think a Kong Wu will be a positive defender. Maybe not at the highest level of his ceiling, which I think at some point is all defense team, uh, defender, but he will at some point be a great defender early on. I think he'll be a good defender. Cam Reddish was a really good defender last year. DeAndre Hunter was a really good defender last year. Or uh, I, I guess I would say DeAndre was a solid defender for a rookie last year is maybe the way to put it. That is more accurate. Rajon Rondo is not a consistent defender, but knows how to make defensive reads, which is something that I think this team could just use help with. Right. Mm-hmm. Having, Chris Dunn is one of the elite level guard defenders in the NBA. I think you can make a case. He is the best perimeter defender of all guards in the NBA. So I don't know, man. Like, I I think they have a chance to at least be like, like if they're 20th in the league defensively, that's fine. And I think they have a chance to do that. Because I think they'll be a top 10 offense, Uh, maybe top eight because they're going to score. And, you know, I think, Overlooked in the the whole Bogdanovich signing and you know all the drama attached to that is the fact that you're adding a very capable secondary playmaker next to Trey. Yep, yep. That's a big deal. Like Bogdan is very good as a like side pick and roll guy. Obviously, we know he can shoot off the dribble a little bit. He's a good passer. All of these things are going to be important for maximizing Trey Young. I think Trey, like, I mean, this guy was, what, 29 and what, 10 last year? 10 yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like, okay. So he might do 29 and 10 more efficiently this year just because he's got options. I don't know that he'll drop 29 again this year because I don't think he's going to have to. Like, Danilo Gallinari is oh, going to no, average. No, 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 hold on. Now, let's be realistic, though. Trey Young is going to score, like, Somewhere between twenty-seven and thirty-one points a game. Like he's just gonna like the shots are gonna come. Yeah, that's probably true. Like we know it's who probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot more mouths to feed now, though. Like Gallinari, but there's only here. one mouth. Like yeah. the, the main mouth is Trey Young. Like that's number one. Yeah, I get. Gallinari is gonna get paid twenty million dollars to come off the bench. Yeah, according to the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, and. Well, how much concern do you have with the overlap of Danilo Gallinari and John Collins, especially John Collins in a season where he may or may not get an extension? We're, we're very unclear on how that is going to go down over the course of the next, I guess, two weeks. He has two weeks to sign an extension. Uh, I, I'm very unclear on how this entire thing goes. It's going to be fascinating to me to see where John Collins uh, kind of fits into this whole mix. I think John Collins is really good. When I heard that they were signing Gallinari, which was, you know, I think about three days before free agency opened up, maybe four. <laughs> uh, my, my assumption was they had a deal worked out and they were going to move John Collins somewhere. Uh, I am as confused as you are by, by the Gallinari signing because of john collins so i, it, I it wouldn't say odd. i'm confused maybe by they're gonna it move. for what it's worth I, I would not say i'm confused by it for what it's worth like i think it's a good move for a team that desperately needed depth if they're comfortable bringing gallinari off the bench 
I just don't know if that's going to be tenable long term. <laughs> right. I mean, if you want to win basketball games, no. I, I agree. I think Gallinari right now is the better player. And, and I like John Collins. I think John Collins got a lot of talent. There's not a lot of dudes his age that have been as productive as him. Uh, a lot of that might be fool's gold. But at the same time, he's actually put the numbers up. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly how to how to extrapolate that. What does that look like if he's not on an awful team where he's able to just, you know, put up junk stats if they're junk stats? I do think I do think that it's likely that they move him. You yeah. don't spend all this money and then sign that guy to the contract that he should be getting, which is, you know, maybe not a max, but it's going to be close to a max. Yeah, it's going to be like 4 100, I would imagine, maybe 490 or something it, like I, that. It could be man, it could be it could be more than that. It could be. It really could be. The thing that throws me off with it is drafting Onyeka Kongwu and signing Gallinari. If you did one of those two things, it makes a little bit more sense to me, I guess, uh to keep John Collins around and to plan to keep John Collins around. Doing both threw me off a little bit. Uh, and here's the thing, too. John Collins is one of the best pick-and-roll bigs in the NBA. He is he is turned into a total force in those settings. He can pick and pop now and knock down threes. He can pick and pop to drive. He can pick and short roll. He can obviously roll all the way to the basket and be a lob threat for Trey Young. But whenever you sign or whenever you draft Onyeka Okongwu, who's going to have to play in pick and roll. And whenever you trade for Clint Capella, who is only value is being a vertical floor spacer in the pick and roll. It limits the opportunities that you have to play John Collins in the setting where he is best. So I wonder if, it's been kind of a long-term strategy over the course of the last year since they traded for Clint Capella to try to find and uh, evaluate the marketplace for John Collins and build just a different looking roster around him in Trey Young. It, I don't know. It's possible. Uh, again, yeah. they, they went out and they got talent and yeah. that's great. I commend it. it. I'm confused as to what they're doing long-term. Because they they're they're like they're putting guys ahead uh, on the depth chart of a lot of dudes that they drafted pretty high, including guys that they traded up to draft. So yeah. it, it is an interesting move for a team that I think was probably only about two years away from making the playoffs anyway, maybe yeah. even one because it's the East. It, it just look feels a little rushed. I still like it because it's a team spending money trying to win. That's great. We all should encourage that. Uh, I'm not sure what it means long term for guys like Hunter and Reddish and Herter, even as much as Collins. Yeah, the the Bogdanovich signing with Kevin Herter also on the roster is really interesting to me because they do have very direct overlap. Kevin Herter is a guy that likes to play side pick and roll and is a guy that can come off of screens in the same way the Bogdan can. So I'm fascinated by that as well to see how that situation plays out. But the big thing that they did was they went out and got secondary ball handlers. They went out and got talent uh, across the wings and they went out and shored up the center position. And this is going to be a team that I think makes the playoffs next year. 
I, I'm just going to straight up say that. Like, I think that they yeah, are I've going to playoffs. make the playoffs next year. Uh, you look at teams like Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Um, I think Indiana, you should probably pencil into the playoffs as well. And then Miami. Uh, th- those are your seven teams that I feel pretty good about. Mm-hmm. I think the eighth is probably Atlanta at this stage in terms you know, of what I would project. The way I've said it is if everything breaks right for them, meaning they have great health, uh, you know, the offense clicks immediately. The defense is, is passable. Like let's say it's the 20th or 18th best defense in the league. Like that's just the best case scenario on paper. Best case scenario for them is that they could maybe get the fifth seed because things go poorly for some other teams and, and everything goes great for them. This isn't a team that's like, should be expected to make a conference finals run. But it's a much better basketball team than what they've had in Atlanta the last two seasons. So I think Trey's life is going to get easier. But a large part of this is going to be, and this is something I'm going to be focused on big time with Atlanta this year, is Trey buying into the team aspect of NBA basketball because we haven't seen it yet. Now, to to defend him, though, he hasn't had talent around him. And now he actually does. So I want to see if if what we saw at Oklahoma and what we've seen so far in Atlanta is what Trey Young is, or if there's more to the story. So let's uh, let's move on. I think that the Atlanta Hawks uh, would be happy with a playoff berth. Like I don't think that they have mm-hmm. expectations, they like you said. Yeah, it's good. Even reach the second round. Like I think yeah. that that's if they make the playoffs, it's a win. This year, uh, getting to the playoffs is awesome. Like that's that's fantastic. A team that has much grander expectations than that, but probably got a little bit worse this off season is Boston. Boston mm-hmm. drafted mm-hmm. Aaron Naismith and Peyton Pritchard to provide some depth in the backcourt and across the wings. They moved Ennis Cantor. They moved Vincent Poirier. To save money, essentially, they guaranteed Jimmy Ojale's final year. They guaranteed Daniel Tice's final year. Brad Wanamaker is gone, who was their backup point guard for a couple of years. Tremont Waters and Taco Fall are back on two ways. And then they signed Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague as free agents. And they lose Gordon Hayward in a deal with the Charlotte Hornets, which ended up being a sign and trade deal, which got convoluted and complicated in ways that I don't know that I really need to like dive into necessarily. Uh, having said that, the most important thing long term that they did in all likelihood was sign Jason Tatum to a five year, 163 designated rookie player, uh, extension with a fifth year player option as opposed to a, uh, just straight five-year max, which is what many players have gotten uh, in these five-year rookie extensions over the course of the last few years. So overall, I think this is a bad offseason for Boston. They lose Gordon Hayward. Oh, yeah, it wasn't good. They don't get the five-year max with Jason Tatum. Uh, I've been trying to figure out like, if they knew that they were going to get this massive trade exception within a gordon hayward deal where it's like 30 million do you think that they would have signed tristan thompson because then they would have had enough uh they would not have been hard capped by use of the full mid-level exception and then 
could take on the full amount of Gordon Hayward's deal uh, within that trade exception, as opposed to right now, they can only take like 25, meaning it might be something of a asset for next off season as opposed to this season. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what they would have done. I'm sure that whatever other scenarios would have happened, we would have heard that they were very close to doing something <laughs> even more awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, man, I, I don't know how you look at what has happened to them and the, the exodus of talent and playmaking. Yeah. And not see it as a bad thing. Brad Watermaker is very important to what they did last year, especially with Kemba coming into this year again with some injury issues. Yeah. Uh, they're now light at the guard spot. Well, all of a sudden they're, they're light on the wing too. Cause Gordon Hayward and his playmaking was very important. I know people are going to be very focused on, on the injury stuff and he certainly missed a lot of time, but this, this past season in particular, man, when he was playing, when he was healthy, he was playing as good as he has at any point in Boston. Yep. And that team was clicking. He takes so much of the playmaking burden off of Kemba, off of Tatum, off of Jalen Brown. And you can play him with anyone, including playing a lineup with all four of them together. They no longer have that option. And so, you know, I'm sorry, Shimmy Ojale is not going to fill that gap, right? Yeah. Like you're not getting that sort of playmaking and production out of, you know, the guys that they've got on the roster. And so I wonder, you know, I understand, you know, they shuffled a little bit. They signed Jeff Teague. That's great. Jeff Teague is, to me, Jeff Teague is not what Brad Wanamaker is for for the Celtics. So they're going to need, you know, is Romeo Langford ready to play? Because I think that that's kind of where we're at. Can Langford play? Yep. Can they get some kind of production? I mean, you know, Javante Green is going to wind up playing a lot of backup three. That's not great. So they got a little smaller. They got worse uh, as far as playmaking depth goes. And I think defensively they're hurt as well because Wanamaker coming off the bench, he enabled you to maintain a, a baseline level of defense that I just don't know if any of these other guys can pull off. Yeah, I mean, what does Boston do at the backup point guard position now is kind of significant question for them given the fact that Kemba Walker is injured and is not right. – at 100%. Like, is this a situation where Peyton Pritchard and Tremont Waters, I would imagine that it's probably they're envisioning Waters being the guy who can handle a lot of these minutes because he was really, really good in the G League last year. Can they handle the real backup point guard minutes? I know that they signed Jeff Teague, but like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I thought that Jeff Teague was pretty darn close to washed in Atlanta. So did I. Like, so did I. <laughs> like he shored up the backup point guard position in Atlanta to the point where they were no longer just a sieve that hemorrhaged points offensively whenever Trey Wall or Trey Young left the floor. But I don't know, man. Like there is a non-zero chance that Peyton Pritchard and Tremont Waters are better than Jeff Teague is right now. I think we're gonna find out pretty soon because this team is gonna need those guys. Big time. Yeah. It's they not, really do. it's not good. It's not good. And they signed Tristan Thompson. That's great. You got, you got a big body that you can throw out there, you know, when Tice is getting in foul trouble and getting knocked around a little bit. But I mean, Tice is better than Tristan Thompson right now. Probably. I, I would agree so with that. It's not an I, upgrade. 
I, th- I think that I agree with you on that. The Tice last year was better than Tristan was. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see what happens whenever you put Tristan in a situation that matters again. Right. Yeah. Like I know that our colleague, John Hollinger had Tristan as being like a borderline minimum guy versus a guy that uh, was worth the mid-level exception. I wouldn't go that far. I think he's a higher level player than that, but I do think that Daniel Tice is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Like, yeah, he's really valuable. I, I agree, and there there would be a lot of people that don't think that because of you know the way he played against Miami. But truth of the matter is, Boston played a lot better when Tice was out there than they did when he wasn't. And the, if you take away that foul trouble, that might be a completely different series. We we don't know. Um, that guy is a really good player, and and we saw a lot of that in the run-up to that Miami series. Now, Bam Adebayo is another beast <laughs> that certainly is going to put a lot of guys in foul trouble. So, you know, I, I don't want to hold it too much against Tice, but uh, Tice is very important to what they do defensively. And then offensively, you know, like, listen, he's going to at least take those shots when they're there occasionally. And I think that matters a little bit. Probably going to give you a little bit more on the offensive end than Tristan Thompson is. I think that's probably right, especially in the perimeter passing game as well. I think that that's the most important thing is that Thompson has never really been a passer. And this is, again, a team that's going to need some playmaking because like they can rely on Jason Tatum to make plays and they can rely on Jalen Brown to make plays. And those guys have improved a little bit as passers, but like in Marcus Smart can make the occasional high level read. But like this is an offense that especially if Kemba is out has a chance to get very stagnant very mm-hmm. quickly i think and that's i have a that's a concern I have a prediction i have a prediction and this is a very couched prediction but if boston is in the top three in the east it's because we're talking about jason tatum as an mvp yeah i agree with that that's the only way they can get there as currently constructed is because jason tatum has taken another leap. And by the way, I mean, he, he, maybe he doesn't need to take another leap. Maybe the leap that he took is plenty, but we just need to see it over the course of a season. Uh, the stuff he was doing in January, February, and then again in the bubble. Um, this guy is for sure like a top 20 player. If they're top three, it's because he's showing himself to be a legitimate tier two type of guy, like maybe tier one, like maybe he can be a guy who's the best player on a championship team. That's what yeah. I'm talking. Like, that's what they need. Yeah. that That is what they need at this stage. Because if I was Boston, I would not be trying to rush Kemba Walker back in the midst of a very condensed season uh, in the way that this has potential to be. So I am, uh, I, I'm interested to see what happens with Boston. There is a chance, I think, that they fall into that like four or five area as opposed to being a top three team in the East again. Yeah. Cause I think Philly is, Philly is a sleeping giant and we'll get there and I'll, yeah. I'll tell you really what I think about them. But I, I, people are really overlooking Philly and, and what they did. Okay, let's go to Brooklyn. Brooklyn is not going to be a particularly deep dive here. Uh, 
Brooklyn decided to not bring back Garrett Temple. They re-signed Joe Harris to a four-year, $72 million contract. They acquired Landry Shamit essentially for the 19th overall pick, uh, in this draft. Uh, well, they, they did like a, it was a bunch of weird moves in order to acquire Landry Shamit, uh, from Brooklyn. Uh, they also get Bruce Brown from Detroit as well. Uh, that weird, like, you know, Sadiq Bay, Luke Kennard, Landry Shamet, like Bruce Brown conglomeration of deals existed. It ended with them ending up with Landry Shamet and Bruce Brown. Um, they signed Jeff Green to a one year deal. They re-signed Tyler Johnson. And then obviously the big one is that Steve Nash, uh, is their head coach. They have Mike D'Antoni as an assistant. And then they also have Amari Stoudemire as a random, uh, player development guy now. So I don't think we're going to spend a crazy amount of time on Brooklyn just because they didn't make a ton of crazy moves and we don't know what Steve Nash is going to be as a head coach yet. Overall, I, I thought this was fine to me. Like what they did just like overall made sense. They went out and got shooting. They went out and got a high level perimeter defender and Bruce Brown, which is something that they desperately needed. Yeah, that was a great move. Yeah. Best move Bruce, they made, I think. Bruce Brown's a really underrated player. He's a really, really mm-hmm. underrated player who's a genuine rotation player in the NBA right now. Um, I didn't I Detroit, really. Right, Detroit really messed up. Like, it, it was a great move for Brooklyn. Detroit really messed up by losing him. Like, you just, those guys don't grow on trees, which is why a team like Brooklyn, who has championship aspirations, like, let's not, let's not mix this up. That's why they went out and got him. And yeah. Detroit just, uh, you know, yeah, sorry. Hmm. It was, it was, Joe, we'll bringing talk. Joe Harris back mandatory. Like that was fantastic. Yeah. Great move. Yeah, they had to do it. It was a smart move. Um, this team, like how it fits together is going to be interesting. Like so much of it just depends on things that we don't know with Kevin Durant and his mm-hmm. recovery from an Achilles injury. How long Kyrie Irving can stay healthy for? Uh, what do they, what are their additional moves? Because I think that this team, as they seem to realize, given the fact that they're, you know, in the market to attempt to acquire James Harden, uh, this team is not complete yet. I don't think. I, I don't think that um, they yeah. are at the point where they know exactly what they're going to be long term. So until we know that, like, it, it's kind of hard for me to say anything other than, yeah, they'll probably be a top six team in the East next year, depending on what. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving look like they could be a top two team or they could be a top six team. Yeah, I think that's that's consensus. I, I think I agree with that. Um, I think the defense is going to be really bad. You know, DeAndre Jordan, not really, you know, prime DeAndre Jordan got Kevin yeah. Durant coming back from the Achilles. So. What's that going to look like as your backline helper? We know what Kyrie Irving has been about defensively for his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Karis LeVert, he, he's hit or miss. You know, he, he has times where he looks all other world defensive playmaker and he has other times where, you know, he just looks like he's taking too many risks. So, um, they don't have a lot of shooting off the ball and they've got two guys now potentially three if they wind up trading for James Harden but those guys are going to pound the hell out of the basketball 
it's going to be, you know, they're going to go back and forth a lot on isolation possessions or run pick and rolls together and stuff like that. And they just don't have a ton of guys that can knock down shots away from the ball. Yeah. I think Karis LeVert, you know, he is nearly valueless without the ball in his hands as, as he plays right now. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, not great off the ball. You've got one guy, Joe Harris, and not only is he the only guy, but he's so important that you had to bring him back on a really, really big contract. Now, I expected him to get paid like that. I thought it was going to be Brooklyn or Atlanta uh, because I thought Atlanta might target Joe Harris. $18 is about what I expected for him. But because of how important he is to Brooklyn actually being able to compete this year, you just can't replace those guys. Uh, Bruce Brown, I love that pickup a lot. You know, you still got Tyler Johnson, who I don't know, he can give you 15 minutes of ball handling a night. The coaching staff is very interesting. I, I'm trying to figure out who's doing all the work. And, uh, yeah, I, look, I'm just not a believer in this at all, uh, mostly because Kevin Durant's such a mystery. If Kevin Durant was going to be, you know, the best player in the league or second best player in the league, then it's a different story. I think they, they got a good shot at making the finals, but I just don't expect that at all because of the way Achilles injuries have tended to affect guys in their careers. So, uh, yeah, I think they're closer to the five, six seed than they are to the one, two seed. And by the way, the guy that we didn't mention at all here is Spencer Dinwiddie. Who averaged twenty points a game last year and was really good? Yeah, like yeah. I, I don't know what happens with, with the ball in his hand. Well, yeah. with the ball in his hands, that's the thing. And so, you know, maybe they stagger a lot. I, I just don't. The pieces don't fit. They're very much like Philadelphia was last year. Yeah, you know, with with different types of parts, but just the pieces don't fit. You got too much of one kind of thing. You need to diversify your roster, you know, the archetypes on your roster. And they, they just don't have that. Yeah. I just don't know how this is going to work, I guess. Like, I, I'm just interested to see how it plays out. And I don't know that it's worth going deeper than that, right? Like, I have to do over-under win totals with Robbie Calland coming up later this week. And, like, I don't fucking know what to do with Brooklyn. <laughs> like, I just have no idea. Under. Under. Probably. It's probably the safer right move. It's under. Well, it, how many games are Kyrie and, and KD even going to play? Right. But it also helps them that they have real, like, other ball handling options that can take up minutes in terms of creation when a lot of other teams are probably going to be staggering their stars in terms Listen, of games played. Right. So, Tarian, like, Tarian Prince is going to take six catch and shoot threes a game. You ready for that? I don't know if he's going to because they have Joe Harris and Landry Shamit now. Yeah, but those guys. All right. Well, they don't. All right. Landry Shamit. I, I bet. I bet that's not going to work out the way that anyone thinks it is. But so, so like, I agree with you. I don't, but really he's only going to be asked Shamit's to do very good. Like, I don't think Landry shoot. Yeah. Like, I don't think Landry's very good to be honest, but like, yeah. They just paid the 19th overall pick for him, essentially. I know. Well, or like Kennard a, was the move. Kennard was the move yeah. for them. Yeah. But, but I don't know why they didn't. Well, again, Luke likes to have the ball in his hands, though. So, like. But, but Luke, it, it very Joe Harris-like, only better in pick and roll. Um, 
being able to attack a closeout is a great thing for your shooters. Like you're more dangerous yeah. that way. And so, you know, I think if you could have more of those guys, it's that's awesome. Um, Landry Shamit's not that guy. I, yeah. I guess the, the bright side is they'll just be happy if he just catches and shoots the ball. Yeah. And he'll have opportunities for that. I just have no idea what this entire situation looks like. Let's, uh, it's let's weird. move on. Let's move on to Charlotte. Charlotte selected LaMelo Ball at number three, Vernon Carey at 32, Nick Richards at 42, Grant Riller at 52. The big one here, though, is that they signed Gordon Hayward and then uh, stretched Nikola Batum uh, in addition to doing the Gordon Hayward sign and trade. Let, let's Let's start with the Hayward move. Because are we gonna say Michael Jordan loves white dudes? <laughs> I mean, I, I like Gordon Hayward is a fine player. This is a crazy amount of money. So it's just insane. So here's here's what I will say. <laughs> yes, it's an it's more money than what he will bring value wise to the Charlotte Hornets, right? I On don't the hate the move. On the court. I, I don't do know not what he'll bring into the locker room. I don't either. I, no, no, no. And, and if you're Charlotte, you have to spend that kind of money to get anyone. But it and, just feels to me this is a Chandler Parsons signing for them. It is, and you know you have to hope that Gordon stays healthier than Chandler did, right? And I and I actually think he will. You yeah. know, if you look at the injuries that he's had since he came back, like, and it's not frankly he's better than Chandler injuries. too. Oh, way better, way better. Yeah, and I, I think that having him as a playmaker out there with Devonte and Lamelo, like that's a good thing. Like that's a great thing. He can play three and four. Like yep. you've got a guy who knows how to win basketball games. Like he's been to the playoffs. Like there are a lot of good things there. So I, I'm with you. But you signed him to a you know thirty million dollar contract, and you waived Batum and stretched Batum. So thirty nine to forty million dollars a year for Gordon Hayward is just so much money. And even when you're Charlotte and you're not spending that money on anybody anyway, cause you're not getting those, those free agent interviews that still can wind up. I mean, look, they hated the Batum deal for all these years. And then they went out and yes, Gordon is a better player than Batum ever was. And yes, he's more proven, but they basically went out and signed another Batum deal. For a guy who is for sure on his way into his decline. It's so, just, it's befuddling. I do totally understand what you're saying. And I don't even disagree with a lot of it necessarily. The problem with the Batum deal, though, was that they compounded it with the Cody Zeller deal and the Bismack mm-hmm. Biombo deal. Right? Right. This cap sheet other than Gordon Hayward now is totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty clean. Like they have Terry Rozier on an $18 million a year deal next year. And then he is out, you know, they're going to have to make a decision on re-signing miles bridges in the summer of 2022. They have cap space for the summer of 2021. If they want it, like they've got Devonte Graham coming up. They have Devonte Graham coming up like, and they can't really, Sign like if Devonte takes an extension this year, which I think is like a reasonable potential outcome. Mm-hmm. Like that deal can't be more than I want to say like twelve million a year in terms of average annual value, thirteen million yeah, a year. It's, it's not. It's not a lot. Yeah. So like, I'm not really 
Like, I'm okay with this because their cap sheet's clean. He really helps them. Like, oh, no, getting no, no, no. a I, secondary ball handler I'm for LaMelo Ball yeah. and for Devontae Graham is enormous. He fits exceptionally well with P.J. Washington. He fits really well, potentially, with Miles Bridges. Like, listen, he's, he can he's play a guy that four. really rounds it out. He can play the four next to P.J. Washington at the five. Right? Like, he gives them that sort of versatility. Yeah. I, I like the like honestly, I think I like the signing. <laughs> like I'm not even no no I do too. I, it's uh, there. I'm separate the basketball from the financial part, which I try to do as much as possible because these guys are you know they're basketball players first. Like the contract is you know that stuff we'll talk about when we talk about team construction, and that will make me question the deal. Just you know looking big picture, but on the court. They got the guy that they really needed. They yeah. needed another playmaker. They needed an adult playmaker. You yeah. know what I mean? They needed a guy who's not going to be nervous in weird situations. Remember, like people forget that Devontae Graham's pretty young too. Yep. Now Terry Rozier is going to play quite a bit, I think, coming off the bench, but it's going to be Devontae, Lamelo, and Gordon Hayward. Those are going to be your three primary playmakers. And I just got to say, having a guy you can give the ball to that you know has been there before and done stuff, that matters quite a bit. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that as well. That's why I'm kind of in on it. Now, the, the argument against it is that they're probably not a playoff team this year. Like, if you look at their point differential last year, they were in over their head a little bit in terms of having won. Uh, what did they win last year? They won, uh, they won 23 games, 23, they won 23 games. and 42. Like, yeah. They were probably not the ninth to 10th best team in the Eastern Conference last year. Uh, no. having said that, like, they got way better. And I'm, I, well, I think that you, this is a smart developmental tanking, move. If you're fine with tanking, you really hate the signing. And yeah. see, I don't really like tanking. And I know that it's the smart thing to do, but like, I'm not running an NBA team, so I can advocate for, you know, for, basketball purity if i want to right i don't have to think in those terms so i'm able to say hey i respect that they're not trying to tank now to contradict myself immediately the next three seasons are when you want to tank so you know i I worry that they've shot themselves in the foot a little bit to immediately add more you know ammunition to their war chest from an asset perspective but in particular getting a good wing which we're going to get the next few years in the draft to go with PJ and LaMelo and potentially Devonte, you know, even though I don't think he's necessarily like a long-term, you know, Charlotte's getting to the playoffs because of Devonte Graham type piece. Um, but you, you know, you're missing out on those opportunities because you're, you're now fighting for like not even mediocrity. You're really fighting for below mediocrity like it's I call, I say that the Spurs are right now addicted to the 11 seed. Well, Charlotte has too because they really want that 8 seed, but they're not good enough for that. They're an 11 seed at best. But are the lottery odds flat enough now to where there's just a case for going for it? I mean, they they were the eighth highest odds to get the number 1 or number 3 overall pick and they moved up this right. year. Like Yeah, I mean, with how flat ha- they are it's now, it's happening more. Yeah, like I don't know, man. Like I'm, I am very comfortable with what they did. I am very, so you very like comfortable that they're gonna that they're gonna be better than awful because 
even though they're going to not make the playoffs, they still have good enough lottery odds that it's fine. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that they are like, they're what? Probably, probably still worse than Washington, probably still worse than Atlanta. Um, Well, so Russell Westbrook was really the move for them because then, then I probably think they're at least making the play in games. Yeah, but I don't really want Russell Westbrook if I have LaMelo Ball. Like, I I think that if they would have ended up with James Wiseman, they probably would have traded for Russell Westbrook. I think that probably would have happened. Oh, yeah. Well, and they loved Wiseman, right? That's the impression that I've gotten throughout the draft process is that they really like James Wiseman. I think a lot of teams liked Wiseman. I like Wiseman. That's accurate. Be good. And I had Wiseman at number two. I had LaMelo Ball yeah. at number one, though. So I think that the Hornets ended up in a good spot here. Um, I, I'm excited. Look, I, I, PJ and LaMelo are going to be fun, man. Yeah. Could not agree more. So the next team here will be the Chicago Bulls. This one will actually be very quick. Uh, <laughs> fire Jim Boylan. They signed Billy Donovan. They draft Pat Williams and Marco Simonovich. Simonovich is going to be a stash. Uh, Devon Dotson's a two-way deal for them, who will probably actually play, to be honest. Yeah, good. Uh, what a great signing. Chris Dunn is gone. Uh, Denzel Valentine took his qualifying offer. Garrett Temple got signed to a one-year $5 million deal. And then they also signed Noah Von Ley. Uh Look, this team's going to be better because Billy Donovan is just a lot better than Jim Boylan as a coach. I don't think that I would call them quite a playoff team yet, though. They could they could be frisky for the eight, uh, the ten seed, you know, get get into the play in. Um, yeah. I could see that happening. I think Otto Porter might be a trade chip. Yep, but if he's healthy, he really helps them. Yeah, um, yeah, they're they're going to be better just because Billy Donovan. Yeah. Billy Donovan will put these players in position to succeed. Kobe White was really, really good to end the year last year. Zach Levine, I think, had an underrated year last year. I'm just going to say it. Like, he averaged 25 points and did so on slightly above average efficiency. That's really hard to do, especially when you play for a bad team that didn't have many other weapons that other teams took seriously. Now, he's not a great defender, and I worry about the fit with Kobe White long term, but... I think that he is a useful player for Chicago. Lowry Marketing and Wendell Carter will figure out uh, a way to play together, hopefully. And Tomas Sadoransky is still a useful guy. So I'm very intrigued by how the Chicago Bulls end up kind of coalescing under Billy Donovan versus how it worked terribly under Jim Boylan. But they didn't really do anything this offseason that was notable in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't rock the boat too much. I think that's smart. Yeah, you know, it, it just like see what you've got. Wendell, look, Wendell Carter Jr. just feels completely untapped. We yeah. we've seen nothing out of him. Lowry has been injured, but he's they're still so young. I, you know, I, I think that patience is a good thing. This is great. Yeah, see what you got, and then and then you've got options. Cleveland Cavaliers next. Uh, Andre Drummond opted into that $29 million player option. They drafted Isaac Okoro. They traded for JaVale McGee in a second round pick. Uh, 
for Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney. Uh, they re-signed Matthew Della Vadova. They signed Damian Dotson to a two-year, $4 million deal. Uh, they, I want to say, like, did some sort of funky deal where, like, there was some sort of removal of protections on Milwaukee's first rounder at some point uh, that they're owed. Uh, they got Rajon Tucker, uh, they signed Charles Matthews and they signed Lamar Stevens. Again, just a very nothing burger of an offseason for Cleveland. This team is bad. They are not going to be very good this year. Uh, I think that this might be the worst team in the NBA is where I'm at. Um, Sure. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I do love Isaac Okoro for them and Kevin Porter yep. Jr. was a very bright spot for them. Actually, as a matter of fact, Colin Sexton, too. I think yeah. Colin Sexton's got another leap in him uh, offensively, which is crazy to say for a guy who you know was scoring the way he was last year. So they've got some some good pieces. I'm hoping that Darius Garland's going to be healthy because you know it, it just bums me out when young guys come into the league with injuries. And I'm curious to see what Kevin Love does and and if they wind up moving him to a contender who who's you know maybe sees an opportunity. To, to strike in the East or, or maybe something happens with the Lakers. They're, they're going to be the, they're going to be really bad. They might be the worst team in the league, but they at least have a reason for me to turn them on and watch. And that's a yeah. good thing. That's great for them. Yeah. I'm excited to see what, uh, Isaac Okoro looks like. I'm excited to see what Colin Sexton looks like. I'm excited to see what Kevin Porter looks like. Uh, Darius Garland still exists and is a real player for them. Uh, I, they need him to do something. Otherwise, that's going to be bad. Um, I, I don't, it's, it's, they just don't have enough talent is what it comes down to. Like, we can see how Kevin Love and Andre Drummond work out. We can see how, uh, maybe they can help the guards improve, but, or improve a little bit. But this team is still just terrible defensively. And, and like, even though I loved the Damian Dotson signing, like, I think that he was maybe the most underrated free agent on the market this year. It, it's just not, not going to do it. It's not going to cut it for them. I don't think. Yeah, no, it's not going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go to Detroit. Whew, here we go. Uh, traded Bruce Brown to Brooklyn. They did a sign in trade with Houston, if I remember correctly, like involving Christian Wood. They uh-huh. traded Luke Kennard and four second round picks uh, for the 19th overall pick and Rodney Magruder. If I remember correctly, uh, let's see here. I have a list up. Now. <laughs> they, they literally, they just tried to get rid of every guy that had been drafted by the Pistons, except for Sekou Dumboya <laughs> in the last few years. And that was it. It was just like, we got to get rid of these guys. We got a clean house. Yeah. They, uh, they traded for Tony Bradley and then traded Tony Brad, Tony Bradley to Philadelphia for Zaire Smith only to wave and stretch Zaire Smith. They drafted Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay, and Saban Lee. They acquired Dwayne Dedman for Tony Snell and Kyrie Thomas. Uh, they waived Dedman and stretched him, if I remember correctly. Uh, yep. They traded Trevor Ariza <laughs> and got DeLon Wright in a deal. 
They signed Jaleel Okafor to a two-year veteran minimum contract. They signed Josh Jackson to a two-year deal. They signed Mason Plumlee to a three-year $25 million deal, which, oh boy. Uh, Jeremy Grant to a three-year $60 million deal. They signed Wayne Ellington to a one-year vet minimum, and they brought over Davidas Servitas uh, from, ooh, where was he? I want to say he was in Lithuania. I remember mm-hmm. looking at his numbers last year and watching a brief amount of tape and thinking that he was probably not an NBA player. He, he uh, barely played Yeah, <laughs> in like the second division in Lithuania. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's Weird not, move. Like, none of this is great. Let's just Who's be his agent? very- uh who is servetus's agent uh give me a second here i can look that up let's we don't don't actually need to know it's better if we just don't answer that and i just let that question hang in the air because that's the kind of move that was just so weird yeah it's it's michael tellum it's yeah okay well um detroit had it had a very interesting week and a half yeah and by the way they drafted well I thought the draft was great for them, but they signed Leangelo Ball. Yeah, I, I don't know what that's He's about a, either. I, are they going to trade for Lonzo? Because maybe that feels like they're trying to telegraph something. You know what I mean? Like it, it was just so out of left field. Leangelo Ball like is not an NBA player. He's not a. Is he a G leaguer? I don't even know. I'm unconvinced that he's a G league caliber player. Yeah. So that signing makes no. I, I don't know. Uh, do we do we cuss on an athletic podcast? I don't. I cuss on this podcast all, right. all the time. Okay. I'll drop like three. Makes F-bombs no fucking already. sense. <laughs> it makes no fucking sense. Um, it, it makes no sense at all. I don't know what is happening there, and none of it is long term. Like, there's the 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 bright side. Yeah. Of this. And also, is Detroit so they're not gonna really get better by spending money on a free agent anyway? It's just I don't I don't get it. Well, get and it. they like they moved first round picks out into the future. Yeah, meaning they don't have the flexibility to then like move those picks into the future. Right. Uh, I mean, look, like they can go out and acquire picks. Like they they would have no mm-hmm. problem doing and that. They, I mean, they've got a couple of pieces that are very interesting. Yeah. I mean, so if, they, if they're awful and Jeremy Grant get like they want to move Jeremy Grant at the deadline, twenty million for uh, two and a half years of Jeremy Grant, it's pretty good. That's probably a deal that teams are fine with. I think they could easily move Svi Mikhailuk, uh mm-hmm. for a real valuable piece. Uh, Derek Rose is just a very obvious trade chip on this roster. Blake Griffin oh, yeah. is a very obvious trade chip on this roster. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know about like, a chip. Where I guess like at least a target. So they're building around Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, and Sekou Dumbuya, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. If you say so. But like that, that those are the only four young guys on this roster that are valuable, and then they have Mason Plumley, who I guess you hope puts. Killian Hayes into a position to succeed, like, because he can run dribble handoffs and he can run really good short roll ball screen actions. Um, Jeremy Grant, you can maybe make a case, is like an athletic defender who can help them be put in. It, it's just like well, an he's going to be their primary creator. It's an island of misfit assets. Hayes? 
Yeah. Well, you know, again, this is another Philadelphia situation. Only there, I mean, they don't have the high end talent. It, there are a lot of centers on the roster, which is just weird. There are a lot of guys that are going to like not be able to defend the wing. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. Jaleel Okafor. Like, why? I'm, I'm unclear. Uh, like it's a minimum deal, so I don't really care that sure. much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, again, the money doesn't matter. It's just the move. Again, Leangelo Ball is going to get fifty thousand dollars from the from the Pistons, and they don't and like, care. The long term things that they did here, the potential long term things that they did, right? I actually don't hate. Like Killian Hayes at number seven is a totally Great. reasonable pick. Love it. I think Love it made Bay. Made sense, right? I love Sadiq mm-hmm. Bay. That pick made sense. I really like Isaiah Stewart, even though they took him probably five or six spots higher than where I had him on my board. Mm-hmm. I really like him, and I think that he's going to be a center for a long time in the NBA. I love Musa, and always yeah, I, have. I mean, yeah, it, I he's going to be able to score. <laughs> he's got no, no. So I think he can score in the NBA. Can can he? I think he can. I mean, the guys like. What is he, 21? He's 21. There's a chance he can score in the NBA. I agree. Like, he, he has a. Never really got a chance. Yeah. He has a shot to score in the NBA. Uh, Josh Jackson signing makes a lot of sense, I think, for them to take <sighs> a flyer a on money, Josh Jackson. Though. It was a lot yeah, of money to take a flyer on Josh Jackson. But it's a two year deal. competing with? Sure. Uh, it's only like 10 million, though, like total. And. I don't know. Like that doesn't bother me necessarily. If you, if you yeah. need to sign Josh Jackson, I'd rather do two years and get a second year for cheap well, and then I'd have rather, early bird rights long term. Right. I'd rather like, do that than like Jamal Crawford. Right. Or I'd rather do it, yeah. frankly, than signing if given where they are right now. I would rather do it than signing Jeremy Grant to a three year, $60 million deal. <laughs> <laughs> But God, that's such a weird. Uh. Like, there's a chance this team is not bad next year. Like, if Derek Rose and Blake Griffin if, are healthy, if, if Blake is healthy, if Blake is healthy, this team could be so much fun. Yeah, because there he's got athletes, you know. Um, but it, it's just you know, do you trust that? Of course not. I don't know. They're they're weird. I, I will watch them because they are weird. Oh, there's a chance that you watch them like three times and decide, oh, God, this team is unwatchable. Oh, f- sure. But also, they're weird. Yeah. And I love Sekou Dumboya. Does, does he play, though? Because you have Jeremy you have Jeremy Grant now, though, who does oh, the same man. things. <laughs> I think you play them together. That's your three and four. Yeah, but is Sekou better than Josh Jackson right now? Uh, it doesn't matter. He's definitely not better than Svee right now. No, but I think you just play them together. Yeah, that could be fun, at least. It, I mean, I, it's he's prob- be awful. Is he better than Sadiq Bay? Like, probably not, given the fact that nope. he's like two years younger. Is Jeremy Grant better than Sadiq Bay? Maybe. <laughs> I think he is, but. I think he is. But- not for three years, 60 million. Right. <laughs> so. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a bizarre roster. It's a, listen, 
I, I'm like I'm really smiling about it because it's going to be very weird. It I could just, it could be awesome, <laughs> not awesome like like they're going to make a playoff run or something like that, but it could be like very scrappy. Yeah, it could be fun to watch. At yes. Least. Uh, okay, let's go to the next team up, which is the Indiana Pacers. Uh, fire Nate McMillan, hire Nate Bjorkren. Uh, they only had one draft pick. It was the select Cassius Winston at 54. They re-signed Justin Holiday to three years, 18 million, which is a deal that I actually really like for them. Uh, they re-signed Jakar Sampson to a veteran minimum deal. They traded TJ Leaf in a second for Jalen LeCue. Uh, and I think that that's it in terms of the relevant things that they did. So they're essentially just running this thing back. I would imagine that they win something in the ballpark of 40 games and are in the five to eight seed range in the Eastern conference. Where are you on the Indiana Pacers? Uh, about with you. That, that sounds about right. I, I'm not expecting them to be much different. Um, I don't know what Victor Oladipo has left, you know, yeah, not left as far as like his career's over, but is he ever going to get back to that six months of all star basketball we saw? Yeah, I'm thinking not. I'm thinking not. We we've seen way less of that before then, obviously, and then since then, and even before he had the injury, it wasn't like yeah. he was you know doing that same level. So um, I'm guessing not. But with that being said, even without him last year, this was a pretty good basketball team. Still got Miles Turner. I think that when you have a coach who I don't want to disparage Nate McMillan here because I do think he's a good basketball coach, but let's say he eschews modern offensive principles very often. Uh, We saw in the bubble what happens when this team actually lets it fly and they can do that. Uh, You know, TJ, TJ Warren in particular can, can catch fire and, and, you know, Potentially win you a playoff series, I think. Like he's that kind of a scorer. So they have some offensive weapons. I think they might see a, a slight uptick in offense just because you, you know, you get rid of the Nate factor. Um, but they're well, going to, they're, I don't think their defense is going to be as good either. Well, first and foremost, can you remember any time a team has gone from one Nate to another Nate? As a coach? Oh, now that is hilarious because <laughs> there's not a lot of coach Nates out there. Yeah. Next time, next up is Nate Duncan. Yeah, yeah, Coach Nate Duncan. Oh be, God, that'd be hilarious. Um, yeah, get Nate and Danny to coach a charity basketball game against each other. I'd like <laughs> to see gr- that. That's a great idea. Uh, yeah, I think that there's a chance this team's really good offensively this year. Uh, last year, as you kind of alluded to, they were 19th in offensive efficiency, uh, while not playing a very aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball is maybe the way to put it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, if they can figure out how to play modern basketball, and I think that they will under Bjorkren, this team has real offensive upside. Like mm-hmm. Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo are really good guards. They did not play in the bubble with Demonis Sabonis. Demonis Sabonis is one of the best offensive centers in the NBA. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, if he can get back healthy, 
is a really useful guard off the bench. Justin Holiday is a good shooter. He's a 40% shooter. You can stretch out in a corner and he can knock down shots. Doug McDermott's a 40% shooter. You can stretch out into a corner and knock down shots. Like Miles Turner is a really interesting move piece as like a corner three point pick and pop shooter at times. Like you can do a lot of different stuff Mm -hmm. with him due to his spacing. So look like there is a chance that this really, really works. And they are like a top seven or eight offense. Like, would that surprise you? Uh, seven or eight would surprise me. But if you t- said top 12, that wouldn't. Because I do think they've got a little bit more to them. In the bubble, they were letting it fly. I think they were shooting like five or six more threes per game, which is pretty significant. And, uh, you know, a lot of that you can attribute potentially to Sabonis not being there. And so yeah. everyone kind of bumped up and you had TJ Warren playing a lot of the four. Um, and, and there is something to that. And I wonder how much of that we're going to see in, in the regular season this year. Um, but clearly they have, they had a little bit more three point volume in them and, and, you know, they benefited from it quite a bit. So I would like to see it. I mean, I, I think if they could keep their defensive principles from the last few seasons, it's tough to do when you change coaches. But if they can do that and and see an uptick and get into that, you know, fourteen to twelve range in offensive rating, that's they're they're really doing something then. Okay. Let's go to the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat essentially are running this thing back. They re-signed Goran Dragic to a two-year, $37 million contract with a second-year team option. Re-signed Myers Leonard to a two-year, $20 million deal with a second-year team option. Uh, re-signed Udonis Haslam to a one-year, $2.6 million vet minimum deal. Uh, they signed Avery Bradley to a two-year, $11.6 million deal with a second-year team option. And they signed... Mo Harkless to a one-year $3.6 million deal using uh, one of their two exceptions. I would imagine that that's probably going to be the biannual. Uh, and then, of course, they re-signed Bam Adebayo to a five-year uh, designated player uh, rookie extension. So, And they also drafted Precious Achua. So I think that this team is in a really good spot. Obviously, they made the NBA Finals last year. They have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, and they have one of the best cultures in the entire league. It made sense to run it back. They now have a shit ton of cap space going forward next summer, and they are going to be a real threat to do some damage next summer. I would imagine that this is probably, you know, right in the two, three, four, five seed range again next year. And a team that nobody will want to play in the playoffs because of their versatility. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. And don't forget, look at the contracts that they signed Myers and Goron to. Both yep. of them really, really nicely uh, valued for trade chips. So yep. I, I, they, you know, they, they, they did what they do. They won their off season. You know, everything geared toward 2021 cap space makes a lot of sense, but they also had the assets. If a guy like Bradley Beal became available, they could actually make a move. And not only do they have the assets, but they have the salaries to match. So, I mean, you know, Miami, Miami just doesn't mess this kind of stuff up. Well, and here's the, here's the other thing too. Myers Leonard is not worth $10 million a year. No way. Goran Dragic at this stage is probably not worth nearly $20 million a year. But 
by taking care of your own guys and giving them those big deals, those big one-year payments, guys around the league notice that. Like, that's not something that goes unnoticed by other NBA players. The teams really, uh, the teams that well, really take care of their Andre. own guys. They extended yeah. Iguodala, right? As soon as they uh, acquired him, yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just a really well-run organization. I think that, again, they're probably just going to be right in that mid-tier range. Like, it's a mm-hmm. it's fine team. With, with a good shot at making the conference finals. Yeah, they have a really good shot at making the conference finals. I don't think that we should limit them to that, given the fact they just made I the agree. NBA finals this year. Right? Yeah, I agree. I like, agree. it's... This but I mean, like, this is this is a legit team that we could say has conference finals expectations and finals hopes. And as you mentioned very smartly, they are well positioned to make a real move trade with the pieces they have on their roster. Like, I mean, they could be in on James Harden. They could be in on James Harden. They could be in on Bradley Beal. They could be in on Victor Oladipo, who has been tied to them. Uh, if Oladipo you know, really shows up and balls out this year. Like there, there are a lot of different things that they can really do that are interesting. But again, this is a team that's essentially running it back. So I don't know that we need to spend like a crazy amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, however, fascinating off season mm. acquire drew holiday in a four team deal that essentially ended up with them moving Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, the number 24 pick, uh, 2025 and 2027 first round picks, as well as a couple of draft pick swaps. Uh, they selected Jordan Wara and Sam Merrill, both of whom got guaranteed deals and will be roster players, both of whom are elite level lights out shooters. They signed Pat Connaughton to uh, multiple deals this summer, uh, one of which was legal. They signed DJ Augustin to a three year, $21 million contract, which is essentially a two year, $14 million deal because that third year is not guaranteed they signed bobby portis to the biannual exception they signed bryn forbes to a two-year minimum which is a deal that i just unequivocally love for them uh and then they signed tory craig to a one-year deal as well i kind of like this offseason quite a bit even though they lose west matthews and lose a couple of uh you know other pieces like kyle corver and ursan Ilyasova and guys that have been there uh for a little while and, and you know george hill was not a nothing burger piece but nope. i really don't think that there's an enormous difference between bryn forbes and george hill i'm just gonna straight up say it well i think they got a little bit more one-dimensional but it's it's evenly distributed, you know. They got Tory Craig, who is very much a defensive guy. They got Bobby Portis, who, if he's anything, he's an offensive guy. You know, they got Brent Forbes. He's gonna shoot. I I just think that 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 maybe that works out for them, you know, because they those guys are probably better in that one specialty. So you you will construct your lineups to sort of protect you a bit. So maybe that makes them better. I, I don't know. Um, I love the DJ Augustine signing. Obviously love getting Drew Holiday. We don't have to go all day on that, but DJ Augustine gives them a lot of options because he can play next to Drew as another playmaker. Uh, yep. but he is going to competently run your bench. He's not going to turn the ball over. He's going to score if you're not getting points on your bench. Like that 
was probably the best signing that they made. Uh, aside from, you know, if you can sign Pat Connaughton twice, you, you might as well. <laughs> so I think that the combination of DJ Augustine and Bryn Forbes is mm-hmm. better than George Hill. I will say that. Like, you can play both of those guys with Drew Holiday. They both give you two very different looks, two very different things that you can bring to the table with them. Uh, obviously, getting rid of Eric Bledsoe and bringing in Drew Holiday is the enormous move here, though. Drew Holiday uh, brings everything that Eric Bledsoe brings to the table defensively while being a bit bigger and being able to handle matchups up the lineup a little bit more which thus makes you a bit more switchable if Mike Budenholzer is ever willing to go with a more switchable scheme uh and then additionally he's just a much better shot maker and a much better distributor than Eric Bledsoe is he's just so much better uh offensively as a whole than what Eric Bledsoe brings to the table and brings them another genuine shot creator next to Chris Middleton and Giannis mm-hmm. yeah big deal so absolutely the perfect move that they needed to make they gave up a crazy amount to do it but if Giannis signs that supermax it's all worth it uh Tory Craig was a really useful rotation player for Denver I thought that that move made sense Bobby Portis I'm a little bit ambivalent on but he does fit the scheme really well in terms of you're always going to drop him and he can really knock down shots from three he's kind of a like for like player with Brooke Lopez except without Brooks defense um, just in terms of scheme I mean so look do I think that this team is like considerably better in the regular season than what they were this year. I don't necessarily, but I do think that they're a team that is going to be more dangerous come playoff time, which is ultimately all that matters. Yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's move forward here with the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks did not really do much. Uh, they signed Alec Burks to a one-year $6 million deal. They signed Nerlens Noel to a one-year $5 million deal. They brought back Alfred Payton on a one-year $5 million deal. They brought Austin Rivers in on a three-year $10 million deal. Uh, and then they also like acquired Jacob Evans, Omari Spellman, a second-round pick, and like a convoluted set of moves. And then on top of it, they also drafted Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly. I think that quiet was the right play for the New York. Knicks. Let's maybe just say that, (laughs) you know, this is the only team that's going to be applauded for doing nothing. And (laughs) and as a matter of fact, they didn't do nothing. They actually just made a bunch of little small moves, picked up second round picks. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that they, they could have been doing all along and just wouldn't. And so a great start for the new front office. I like Obi Toppin a lot. I actually think Obi Toppin is, is a bit underrated. I think as a team defender, he may wind up being pretty good. Like it's going to, it's going to take the right scheme. He just so happens to have a very good defensive coach. I think we might see a little bit more out of Obi Toppin than people are, are expecting. Um, and if he plays with Mitchell Robinson, that's a quite a bit of athleticism out there. So I, I I'm really excited about that. Uh, I want to see another year of Frank Nilakina. I think that Tibbs is probably going to like him, and I think we're going to get a lot of him. Um, but that being said, nice, quiet offseason for the Knicks is a good thing. Uh, with Toppin and Mitchell, what worries me is that kind of a similar thing to what we talked about with Atlanta earlier, where both of those guys are pick-and-roll bigs. Obi Toppin is the much more versatile pick-and-roll big, but if you 
don't put Mitchell Robinson as the pick and roll big. You're essentially putting him into the dunker spot and thus just like having a big man that's constantly there because teams are always going to guard Mitchell with their center. Right. So I'm dubious of the offensive fit, but I also think that early in Obi's career, you're going to need a defensive anchor like Mitchell has potential to be next to him. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know what to do with them. Play them. To em. be honest. Play them. Just play them. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just, just, just play them at play. the end of the day. I mean, really, that's the thing. And I think for the Knicks, like, just, you're going to be bad. You might as well be fun. And you've got a good coach. Yeah. Let them coach them and see what, see what these guys could possibly be. I, I just think, you know, being conservative about it stinks. And I, look, Nobody wants Obi Toppin to feel like he can just walk into the NBA and get minutes, but he needs to play. None of this thing where you're going to go like sign Todd Gibson to come play over Obi Toppin. Like, just don't yeah. do that and everybody will be happy. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what they do at the point guard position too. Alfred Payton was like not terrible for them last year. No, like it's just kind of worth noting that. Uh, I got Frank Nilakina. Yeah, obviously exists. Dennis Smith Jr. is still on this roster. Uh, and then RJ Barrett, I think, is probably going to play some lead at some point this year. Well, he's so. there. He should be their lead guard right now, I think, uh, offensively. So, um, you know, it, it, to me, anything that you do that takes the ball out of his hands is a mistake. Um, Nilakina can play next to RJ totally fine and guard ones. Like, I think that that's a good starting backcourt for them, as a matter of fact. But I doubt we're going to see a ton of that early. I think you're, you're right. Alfred Payton's probably going to play a lot. They signed Austin Rivers. He's going to play. Um, I, I start worrying about minutes for, for Dennis Smith Jr., as a matter of fact. Let's go to Orlando. Another pretty quick one here. They didn't really do a crazy amount this offseason. They drafted Cole Anthony to try and shore up the point guard spot. Uh, and Cole can probably play a little bit with Markel Fultz. So I think that that's a reasonable draft pick. I probably would have gone a couple other directions, but nonetheless. Mm. Uh, resigned Gary Clark to a two-year, $4 million deal. Resigned James Ennis. Resigned Michael Carter-Williams. Brought in Dwayne Bacon. Uh, signed Kareem Mane and Jordan Bone. They finally brought uh, Chuma Okiki onto the roster after he was stashed last year despite being the number 16 overall pick. Uh, and they signed Devin Kennedy, Robert Franks, and John Teske to exhibit 10 deals. I like, I, I'm still just very skeptical on where, what Orlando's like plan is right now. So it, it's hard for me to get excited about this. Yeah. I mean, it just still feels like they're collecting pieces, um, but also trying to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, the John Isaac injury obviously stinks because you don't know what this team is going to be. Uh, Mo Bamba may not be a hundred percent, you know, if, You've read the, yeah. the news on him recently. Um, I liked the Cole Anthony draft pick. I, I think that they got good value on that. You know, if Cole Anthony turns into the guy that, that we kind of thought he might be two and three years ago, um, that could be really interesting playing next to faults. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I'm kind of a little bit confused. Um, a lot of this is it's boom bust thinking. You know, John Isaac wasn't John Isaac when they drafted him. Looks amazing. That's a great pick for them. Uh, yeah. But Mo Bamba, we haven't seen 
in that same growth. So I think that, you know, when you look at the gambles that they're taking, how many of them are paying off? It's a crapshoot. I mean, that's, that's kind of how the NBA works, but they, they certainly don't seem to be putting pieces together that necessarily fit on paper. Yeah. I'm not real excited about this team. Uh, I, I, this is maybe the team I will watch less of than any other team in the NBA this year. I'm just kind of like over the Yvonne Fournier, like Nikola Vucevic two man game that they run all the time. Like, uh, Markel Fultz, like I'm intrigued by seeing where Markel Fultz goes this year. And like, can he really take a step forward? That'd be fantastic. I would love that. Um, can Aaron Gordon take another leap? Uh, Aaron Gordon is still only. 25 years old and just turned 25. So like there are interesting things to see here. And like a big part of the bet is that Steve Clifford is absolutely one of the 10 best coaches in the NBA. But like, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm not excited by anything that this team really does right now. I mean, it just feels like when you look at the rosters, like, Oh yeah, that guy's a couple years away. That guy's yeah. a couple years away. That guy's a couple years away. Ooh, how come that guy isn't better? You know what I mean? It, it's right. it's a lot of that. Nobody's ready right now. Right. Uh, okay. The Philadelphia 76ers, which I think you've been waiting for. Oh, yes. Doc Rivers is the new head coach. Daryl Morey is the new president of basketball operations. They trade Al Horford, Visea Micic, the number 34 pick, and a 2025 first-round pick for Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson. They move Josh Richardson for and the number 36 pick for Seth Curry. They trade Zaire Smith for Tony Bradley. They draft Tyrese Maxey. They draft Isaiah Joe. They draft Paul Reed. They sign Dwight Howard to man the backup center spot. They sign Justin Anderson to a partial guaranteed deal. They sign Ryan Brokoff to a non-guaranteed deal. They sign Dakota Mathias to a two-way deal. Where is this roster right now? Because I actually kind of love it. <laughs> I, I think that they're this they're gonna be the second best team in the East. Ooh. They're Big good. call. Well, they were already good, and now they make sense. You know, Ben yeah. Simmons and Joel Embiid have been good in spite of an ill-fitting roster. Yeah. And when and you know, when they're healthy and defending. Those guys are elite. I mean, like all NBA defense elite, like defensive player of the year candidate elite. Yep. They got Seth Curry. Fantastic for them because all of the stuff he's bad at, those two guys can cover for. And he does so much of the stuff that they need. I love the maxi pick. Oh, my gosh, man. Uh, Just they now are a basketball team that makes sense. You know who else is going to benefit from all these moves? We think a lot about Ben and we think a lot about Joel, but Tobias Harris is going to benefit as much as any of those guys. Doc Rivers showed Tobias how to, how to actually be an effective NBA player, really used him as effectively as any coach he's ever had. And now there's other shooters. So Tobias might get some open looks. This is, I mean, this is a basketball team that makes sense, has some elite defensive upside, and now has an offense to kind of match that. I, I think they're going to be very good. This is a really a sleeper finals contender. I totally agree with you on that. 
the one thing that Seth Curry obviously does exceptionally well is spot up, relocate, run off of screens. Mm -hmm. The thing that Ben Simmons does better than just about anyone in the league, other than probably LeBron, is he creates three pointers for his teammates. He is one of the absolute best kickout passers in the NBA. Uh, giving Joel Embiid more space to operate in the post is only going to make him a better post player. Uh, Shake Milton having another year of growth is really going to help them. Like this is a really legitimately kind of awesome team. And I know that you love Danny Green as much as I love Danny Green. Danny Green got <laughs> kind of unfairly maligned a little bit, I thought, in the postseason because he wasn't always knocking down shots. He's always been like a bit of a streaky he shooter. He still shot that, 34% from three in the playoffs. Right. Right. Like, like he's, he, he just missed some big ones. His thing is that he's always been a bit of a streaky shooter, but there have often been right. more good streaks than bad streaks. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm -hmm. But what he so, does defensively, think about what he does defensively. All right. Now it's the Danny Green soapbox hour. And I actually didn't mention him on purpose because this is what happens when I talk about Danny Green. But think about what he did for the Lakers defensively and yeah. what he did for that elite Raptors defense defensively as a wing helper next to Ben Simmons. And with Joel Embiid backing you up, the Sixers defense could be nasty. I mean, you've got Matisse Tyball. Like, they've got some defensive lineups that they could run that would absolutely suffocate teams. And you know what the best thing possible to do for Matisse Tybal is? Give him Danny Green to learn from for a year. There you go. Well, you could like, do that. You could say that about any player. Every player in the NBA could learn from Danny Green. Yeah. No, Danny Green is an awesome, awesome defender. Uh, they have actual depth on the perimeter now. The only thing that I think is missing is a legitimate half-court point guard. I still think that I would want a half-court point guard to play with Ben Simmons. Like, I'm worried about what happens when the game slows down in the playoffs and teams just sag off of Ben and ask him to make a play for himself and score. I don't know that he can do that yet. But I mean, we're going to we're going to find out they can do enough now in terms of different lineups that they can put around Ben that actually give them floor spacing. And the other thing is that this roster, they do have the pieces that could be tailor made for a trade now. Like they have Danny Green's expiring contract. They have Seth Curry at eight million dollars like they can. It can get, it'll get tight, but like they have the pieces in terms of movable salary mm -hmm. to get involved potentially in a Bradley Beal deal if that would well, be they something also, that they would want to do. They also could get James Harden if they want to move Ben Simmons if they feel like it's not working. Yeah. Yeah, because the Rockets are probably not going to do much better than being they, a guarantee. Absolutely not doing better. Ben Simmons. No way. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm fascinated by where Philly goes. I think that I agree with you. They will be a top three team for me in the East this year. Uh, I think they're going to be really, really good, even though I would still probably pick Miami over them in a playoff series right now. Uh, I think that yeah. Philly's probably going to be a little bit better in the regular season than they are, though. Mm -hmm. Well, the 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 point guard creation next to Ben that's going to be the question mark for them. Yeah. 
Okay, we're down to two final teams here, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Stanley Johnson picked up his player option. They drafted Malachi Flynn and Jalen Harris. Uh, They re-signed Fred Van Vliet to a four-year, $85 million deal. They re-signed Chris Boucher to a two-year, $13.5 million deal with that second-year non-guaranteed. They signed Aaron Baines to a two-year, $14 million deal with that second-year non-guaranteed. Signed DeAndre Bembry to a two-year deal with the second-year non-guaranteed. They gave Alex Len a one-year, $2 million deal. They lose Serge Ibaka and Mark Gasol. Uh... They waive Dewan Hernandez, and then they kind of just sign some other end of roster filler. So, essentially, what we're talking about here is a team that is almost all on one year deals, other than Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. Uh, even OG Ananobi is still on a one year deal, uh, even though uh, he will be a restricted free agent that they assuredly bring back uh, following Jeremy next Grant off contract. <laughs> that Jeremy oh, Grant contract, right? Like, kind of set the. <laughs> kind of set the stage i i think that he we might see og get like 17 18 oh i i would yeah i would imagine that that's going to be the case mm-hmm. uh look this is still a good team uh they mm-hmm. still have the three leading really i think the is it three or four leading scorers that they had last year uh they have mm-hmm. all four of their leading scorers from last year because siakam kyle lowry fred van vliet and norman powell are all back og ananobi is back uh look aaron baines is probably not much worse than what marcus all is at this stage i was gonna say career. not big not that big of a downgrade especially when you consider that aaron baines offensively is not going to record scratch. So like he's going to shoot the threes that, that Mark would sometimes shy away from. So I think, yeah, not a huge step back um, as you're running down the roster. Yeah. Like it's, it's pretty close. Yeah. So it feels like they lost more talent. I think than they actually did. Uh, The surge loss is big though. It is a legitimate, a legitimate floor spacer. Who would, who is also a legitimate rim protector? They just don't. They don't have that. I mean, Boucher can do both, but he weighs two hundred pounds, mm-hmm. and I don't know if any team is you know going to be really worried about Chris Boucher. Um, right. Baines does stretch the floor, but like again, he's more of the Gasol type because he's just not as smooth of an athlete. Uh, he's not going to cover as much space as Ibaka did. So um, I, I think that the Ibaka loss is big. It's not as big as Boston losing Hayward. Yeah. But it's it's pretty big. Like it might be four or five games big. Yeah. I would think that that's reasonable. I still think this team probably wins between 45 and 50 games, though, just because the institutional knowledge of this roster mm-hmm. and uh, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet's pairing in the backcourt with Pascal Siakam, it's probably going to be enough at the end of the day, to have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. I think it's in play. Yeah. This is a team that finished 14th offensively and second in defense last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe I'm a little bit high on the offense. Maybe it'll be a top 15 offense again. Maybe it'll be a top 20 offense. But this will be like a really high-level defense, I think, even without sure. Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol, because I just think that they're, they have really good defensive coaches on that team that know exactly what they want to run. Yeah. Okay. Last team uh, is actually in the news uh, pretty heavily right now. 
in the Washington Wizards. Uh, obviously, they draft Denny Avdia. They uh, end up with Cassius Winston by the end of draft night. They sign Robin Lopez. They sign Anthony Gill. I know you're an Anthony Gill guy, right? Yeah, man. Love a, love a shooter. Shooter, really smart positional defender. Uh, he is an NBA quality player. They re-signed yeah. Davis Bertans to a five-year, $80 million deal. They signed Howell Neto. They, uh, I believe, re-signed Garrison Matthews to his two-way. They Cassius Winston is also on a two-way. Uh, they guaranteed Ajay Pesechnik $350,000 for some reason. And then they went out and traded John Wall for Russell Westbrook. So, yeah. I think that <laughs> I think that they are in a better roster position than they were at the start of the offseason because I think that Russell Westbrook is a better player than John Wall and is Agreed. a more reliable asset for next season than Jan- John Wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to play and he's not going to blow up your locker room. And I, I think that <laughs> The, the second one is just as important as the first one. Um, he's going to play. He's going to get you to a certain baseline. Like, I don't think he was an all-NBA player last year, but he was an all-NBA. Like, he was voted all-NBA. He was in the running. I, I think that he had a spectacular you yeah. know, like January, February, and then – you know, he got COVID and came back in the bubble and had, you know, an injury issue as well as the conditioning stuff. And so many people are stuck on that last image that they forgot about the previous last image pre hiatus where, you know, it looked like he had sort of unlocked this new version of himself. Well, when you look at the Wizards roster, they actually kind of have pieces that could capitalize on that. I mean, Bradley Beal, we know what he does, but Davis Bertans would love, would love to provide space for a guy like Russell Westbrook because he's going to benefit from it. Thomas Bryant, that's a 40% three-point shooter, is a big. Pulling the big away from the rim is half the battle when you have Russell Westbrook on the court. I love this move for the Wizards. I think the Wizards got way better, like maybe playoff better. Like maybe they're going to be the the eight or seven seed. Like They they definitely got better. You know the culture is going to be great. And... uh I, I think that this was a fantastic move for them. Yeah, like their starting lineup is now Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, probably Troy Brown is my guess. Uh, I think it's going to be Bonga, Isaac Bonga, the most important player on the roster for them. They okay, need we'll his get, defense. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, in general, <laughs> I agree with you that Isak Bonga is a very, very good defender. But then they also have Davis Bertans. And Thomas Bryant. Yeah, the front court is not going to defend at all. The two guys that they're bringing off the bench, Denny Avdia and Rui Hachimura, also not going to defend at all right now, <laughs> yeah. off the bat at least. So I have some concerns about how this defense looks. Uh, they still have Mo Wagner, who is a potential spacing threat uh, at the center position. Basically, all of their centers and all of their bigs can at least yeah. shoot somewhat competently other than Rui. And you have to hope that the jump shot is going to come for Rui. Otherwise, they drastically overselected him at number I think nine. the mid-range for sure is going to be there, right? Like, um, Yeah, he can, he can knock down mid-range well, shots. Mid-range, yeah. Yeah, he'll, he'll hit mid-range shots, but is that enough to make him efficient enough? I, I don't really think it is necessarily. Um, but yeah, like they have secondary creators because Troy Brown and Denny Avdia can run at least a second unit, I think. Hey, and 
Isaac Vanga is also a very good passer. Don't don't underrate my guy as a passer. Okay, we're going to have to stop on the Isak Bonga uh, thing here for a second. Explain <laughs> to the people that did not watch the Washington Wizards last year why Isak Bonga is very good, because I agree that he's a good defender and does some things, but I, I struggle to see what he does offensively. That's he's a, So he's there. a unique passer, right? Like, he, he, he does... I think he does have really good court vision. It's the other stuff that he's not really great at. Like, you know, he's going to need to find a passable jump shot. Um, he's going to need to, you know, not turn the ball over so much. But the defense is what's going to get him on the court. I, I'm not sure if he's going to start, but I think he might. Like, it, he's that good defensively, and they're going to be that bad otherwise. I, it, you know, Troy Brown, it, you feel like he's big enough to, to play on the wing like that? I don't know. He's, he's like six six. He's pretty big yeah, dude. I don't know. Like maybe. And I mean, he just had like a pretty awesome bubble. I mean, the bubble. He was great. And but I, I like don't he had, know. He averaged fifteen seven and four and a half with and a his, steal in the bubble. His pick and roll chops are great. Like that's going to be a guy who on second units is going to get a lot of opportunity. I don't know if they want to start him though. Yeah, I don't know that they want to start him either but i think that there will probably be some disappointed people if he doesn't start uh given the fact that he was pretty good uh late in the season for them yeah do you think they're starting robin lopez over thomas bryant Mm, i'm gonna say coaches, coaches will lean defense and veteran almost all the time right i mean given what scotty brooks did in Oklahoma City, I think that that's probably a reasonable bet. And like, look, for this to work, Robin Lopez is going to have to keep shooting threes with the burgeoning mm-hmm. three-point shot that he kind of showcased occasionally in Milwaukee last year. Mm-hmm. But I don't... I, I would start Bryant and get as much shooting on the floor for Russell Westbrook because this this is probably the best shooting roster that Russell Westbrook has ever played with. Other than, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, like you can make a case that the Kevin Durant, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, like that trio were better shooters than what Washington has. But obviously like two of those three guys really wanted the ball in their hands and like, obviously like dominated the ball at times. Uh, Even James did in Oklahoma city that final year. So, I kind of think that this is like the best, maybe, maybe the way to put it is the best floor spacing catch and shoot roster that Russell Westbrook has ever played with. Potentially. I mean, Berton's, I mean, he's, that's as close to, I, I guess the closest guy would be Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant didn't move like Berton's does as far as off the ball. Yeah. I mean, like Kevin's a better shooter than Davis oh, Berton's. Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. But yeah. I'm saying Berton's like, and is, Durant is about as close to Bertans as anybody um, as far as style of play as a yeah. shooter. Um, yeah. It's going to be, Over, it's going to be interesting. I think they're going to be pretty good. I do too. I think that they're going to be in the play in game for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Or in the play in series, I guess. Yeah. Seven, the be. seven to 10. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think they have a real shot to make the playoffs. Like I really truly believe that. Like, if you made me say right now, I would say that the play-in is probably going to be 
Indiana, Atlanta, Washington. And then I don't know who the fourth team would be. Maybe Chicago. Maybe Chicago. Maybe Orlando just out of like sheer competence. Right. Coaching. Coaching. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think let's I'd, I'd toss the bone to Orlando. Yeah. I I think that that's pretty reasonable as well. But funniest outcome, funniest outcome, yeah, is that Brooklyn is in the play-in. I mean, that'd be fascinating for a number of reasons because it would involve a lot of drama in that locker room. I feel like. Also, it'd be scary (laughs) if if they were the eighth seed because they had a rough regular season, but we're going into the playoffs whole. That'd yeah, no one scary. would want to play them. No one would no. want to play them. That'd be yeah. incredible. Um, all right, Dave. This has been fun. Yeah. Do you have uh, this is the any- longest podcast in podcasting history? Yeah, this it's went amazing. a little long. Went a little. Well, long. this is what we do. This is what we do. We do this every year when we do the previews. We always yeah. go way longer than we intend to, but you know, it's all about the friends we made along the way. That's true. I was hoping for like an hour 20 it probably went an hour 40 unfortunately yeah that's that's Um, good dave do you have any other stray thoughts any other stray stray takes you need to get out there into the world no not really i mean i I think that this season is going to be it's important it's an important season for the nba going forward there are a lot of norms that are going to be set going forward based on this season i think load management is going to be a huge one. Uh, I think that the travel stuff is going to be really big. I, I don't think players are ever going to want to go to go back to traveling the way they did. <laughs> and we may start seeing baseball like series the way that they're doing right now. I mean, I, I think that a lot of stuff is going to change based on, on what we're going to see over the course of the next six to eight months. Um, there are already things media wise that I think will never be the same. Access is probably going to change quite a bit, but I'm curious to see how the ins and outs of the league are going to change over the course of the next eight months. It's going to be really, really fun to watch, Dave. Tell the people Mm -hmm. what you've got coming up on the Athletic NBA show, on Nerder, on all of the myriad podcasts that you participate in for the Athletic. Look, we've got the same thing everybody has come to expect, right? Like we're going to be thoughtful. And we're going to try to think about things with our unique perspective and, uh, and try to be fair. And that's what we've been doing. That's what we're going to do. Um, and it's going to be fun. So, you know, go definitely check out the athletic NBA show. You want to talk about a stacked lineup? Good grief. I I don't even know how I'm on that show. Makes no sense. (laughs) Tell the people what day nerder is. Uh, nerder. So nerder drops on Friday. We do buds and that drops on Monday. Tuesday's tampering with Sam Amick. On Wednesday is Hoops Adjacent with Big Waz and David Aldridge. And on Thursday is Marcus Thompson and Ethan Strauss with Point of Contention. Just a ridiculous murderer's row of talent. Uh, it's insane. It's nuts. You guys cap it off every week on Friday with a great show with Seth Partnow and Mo DeKeel. Yeah, we like to give you something that you can listen to again over the weekend. Because, you know, I think it's uh, it's important to re-listen to Nerder at least... <laughs> You know, once, but, but twice, because look, if you're not taking notes on that show, you're going to miss stuff. That's what we do. Dave, this has been super fun. This has been the game theory podcast. Go ahead. 
hang on before you close just so people know what happened uh we as we're closing Tim McMahon from ESPN tweets, James Harden did not return to Houston for his anticipated individual workout Sunday evening, but told the Rockets he will report soon. So everything that we said about Brooklyn and Philadelphia might go out the window because maybe there's going to be a trade. I th- I think that's more about James being like, it'd be this. absolutely be insane. It'd be absolutely insane if they made a trade. James Harden right now is the embodiment of the Eric Bledsoe. I don't want to be here. Tweet. I, don't, I love it. <laughs> like, oh man. I think uh, you that know, I, oh, I threw man. out the idea that, that it's, it's so much nicer to just have the front office and the coach and, and the owner have to take the heat from the media for a couple of days that he just, you know, he's like, all right, I'll show up in a few days after everyone takes the heat off of me. Oh man, Tillman for Tito, sell the team, please. <laughs> <laughs> for the love of God. Uh, oh man. That's been Dave Dufour. This is Sam Vicini. Uh, we'll be back later this week with the second half of this podcast, the Western Conference, uh, offseason breakdown. Uh, and then the following two shows are going to be NBA win total over unders, the yearly podcast I do with Robbie Callen. So get ready to get your money out and start gambling responsibly, of course. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. 